Is it working? Amazing. <laughs> Happy Independence Day. Amen. It's excellent. Um, I want to take this opportunity just to thank everyone for praying with me through this season that I've been through. It's been about, uh, I can't even remember, a couple of years this has taken. But uh, after radiation therapy finished in uh, January, uh, they waited about three months to do a blood test, and then the blood test came back, and it was as low as the machine could register, so they consider that cancer-free. So. They'll be taking, they're supposed to get blood tests every four months and then every six months. And I'm thinking about just skipping all that. But. <laughs> okay, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. Chapter 3, 7 through 11. This is a very familiar area. Paul speaking, he says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. The purpose of our Christian life, the priority of our Christian life, and actually the progression spiritually of our Christian life is contained within verses 10 through 11. 10 through 11, towards the end. Let me read it again. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Chuck Ferry used to call this area of Scripture Paul's magnificent obsession. Paul's magnificent obsession. I don't know if you remember that. But uh, that's when I was first introduced to this area. And I call it the Christian life purpose. Again, first to know him. Second, the power of his resurrection. Third, the fellowship of his sufferings. And four, being conformed to his death. Five, to attain the resurrection from the dead. Every time I read that, and we're going to get into it, I'm really encouraged that the power of the resurrection happens before the suffering that he prepares us for what he has for us. Number one, that I may know him. Salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. A gift. Salvation is not a one-time encounter. It's an ongoing surrender, commitment, and relationship with the Lord. 
Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13, Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. To obey is to work out your salvation, and God works in you to will and do for his good pleasure. Salvation is a free gift. We have this gift within us. But then it talks about how we need to work it out through obedience in our lives, obedience to the Holy Spirit. But then verse 13 clearly says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It is God who gives you the desire and the ability to be obedient. We can't even do that on our own. It's all God gives us the gift, gives us the desire, and the ability to be obedient, to work out our salvation. The only thing is we have to exercise our will, and it's a constant daily issue. Who will be Lord today? We have to deal with that consistently. Salvation consists, from what I see, in justification, sanctification, and glorification. And I thought about this. You, you were saved, and you are saved, justified. You are being saved, sanctification, the process of forming you into the image of Christ, cleansing, and then finally, you will be glorified, the final act of salvation when the Lord returns. There's some incredible verses. I've been writing them down, and I actually read these. I was in uh, San Antonio uh, for six days visiting with my aunt, my mother's younger sister, she's 91, and they put her in assisted living. She was failing uh, physically. And I was reading to her these verses, and the one that I'm talking about, glorification, it talks about when the Lord returns, we will see him as he is, and we will become like him. That is a mystery. There's about three different verses that talk about that. You know, We know in part, but then we fully know all these different, about three verses. I read those to her, and she just sat there looking at me, and she goes, amazing, <laughs> amazing. And that's what God's preparing us for, that I may know him, salvation, an ongoing relationship. Now, the way to know someone to have a relationship is spending time with them. And a strange thing happens when you spend time with someone, you become like them. This is one of the reasons we try to monitor who our kids are with, right? And we see that. You become like them. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says it this way. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Most versions say good morals. I think that's actually a little bit clearer. Okay? Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good morals. The same is true with good company. Uh, it produces good character traits. Proverbs 13.2 says, He who walks with wise men becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I remember when I was a young man in the ministry, <clears throat> I just wanted to hang around with Chuck Farah, Bill Sanders, Tom, I'd just hang around, you know, watch them. Uh, we've been watching The Chosen. How many have been watching The Chosen? The big thing, follow me. 
And then I remember the two fishing brothers, they said, how did we learn how to fish from our dad? We just watched what he did, and that's how we learned. So we pursue Jesus, we spend time with him, and it says we become more like him. Quality time with the Lord, dwelling in his presence. To work out our salvation, we need to continue in our relationship with the Lord, seeking him daily in prayer and ministry of the word, and then being obedient to his spirit. Number one, that I may know him, salvation. Number two, the power of his resurrection. We're talking here, of course, about the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Acts chapter 1, 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You've heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And this word baptize, being a Greek word, baptizio, means to be immersed in a liquid, to be totally covered and immersed. So if you could equate that to the spirit, that's pretty climatic, to be totally covered. One, uh, I think one version, or maybe someone said this, to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. We see the fulfillment of this at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We need to each have our own personal Pentecost. We need to continue in that and stay filled. It isn't just a one-time experience. It's an ongoing experience. There are things in our lives which empty us of God's power. And I was thinking about, we were thinking about this, you know, television. You know, it really drains you. You haven't noticed? It really drains We used to talk about if you... If you watched one hour of TV, you needed to remember this, James. We, one hour of TV, you had to read two hours of the Word just to compensate. And I think it's got worse. We said, I remember I was in a meeting one time, actually. This is an interesting story. I was with a uh, prophetic brother, and uh, I'm trying to think of his name. His name was Jim. I don't remember his last name, an older brother. But he told me one time, he said, you know, I'm really addicted to TV. He said, when I was a kid, I, you know, I got old enough, I was the one that brought the TV into our house. He said, I just, you know, it, it, even when I'm in a restaurant or something, I want to sit where the TV is. He was admitting this to me. So I got him to go to this meeting. It was a street ministries conference in Dallas. And we were sitting there. David Wilkerson was preaching. And he was talking about, I can't remember what, but all of a sudden he turned, pointed his finger in our direction and said, someday it will be so bad Christians won't even be able to watch any television. And I went, like this. Someday. And I think we're, we're starting to get there. Acts chapter 4, verse 18 through 21. Acts chapter 4, 18 through 21. Uh, this is uh, persecution. 
of Peter and John. They were brought before the leaders. And they said they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Said they were threatened, but they couldn't do anything about it. And they let them go. But this is the first action of oppression. They immediately went and met with the other disciples, reported what happened, and they were called to prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word. You can read between the lines. These threats affected them. They're human. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're human. And now they're getting resistance. And there's a temptation to back off. And that's what they're saying. Look at their threats. And don't let us not continue in boldness. Grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching your hand out to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of of your holy servant Jesus. Lord, don't let us be intimidated by this. Give us power. Give us boldness. And then it says, when they prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. But I thought they were filled with the Holy Spirit in chapter 2, and only two chapters later they need more. (laughs) They need to be filled again because of that resistance. It takes away power. They realized they continually needed that power. They needed God to uh, endue them with power. The Lord liked that prayer, and he met them. Shaken, filled with the Holy Spirit. A second time, they they received fresh boldness. Things in life that cause power to live us we need to continually leave us. We need to be continually refilled. In Ephesians 5, 17 through 20, Ephesians 5, 17 through 20, it says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. In the Greek, This word actually denotes ongoing action. And actually this should be spoken as such. But be ye being filled consistently. Be ye being filled consistently. And then it goes on to say in 19 and 20 how you do that immediately. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks always for all things to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exercising your spirit, worshiping, continually activating and moving and and enabling the Lord to refill you consistently. We each need to experience our own personal Pentecost but we also need constantly to be refilled. Number two, the power of his resurrection, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number three, the fellowship of his sufferings. Again, aren't you glad he did the power before the suffering? I thought that was good. The fellowship of his sufferings. You know, I wasn't going to get into this, but the fellowship of his sufferings. 
You know, it, it really is kind of a, a deep thing because what it is, Jesus on the cross took all our sufferings. And then the faith word runs with that. You know, we're not supposed to suffer at all because of that. But here what it's saying is that he, for a purpose, and we're going to talk about the purpose, he allows us, he, he has all the suffering, he allows us to come in fellowship in his sufferings. Any sufferings that we uh, come upon us are his sufferings. It's the fellowship of his sufferings. We are purified and cleansed through suffering. It's a purpose. There's a purpose. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 and 2. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 and 2. This is, these verses are so clear. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. There's something about suffering that causes you to cease from sin. That's what the word of God says. That he no longer should live the rest of the time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. There's something about suffering that causes you to cease from sin and do the will of God. That's what it says. If Christ suffered, you will also suffer. Be prepared. We are not to be surprised by suffering. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 13. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing is happening to you. He's basically saying this is normative for a Christian. But rejoice to the extent that you, and again it says this, and it can't hardly be explained, but he says this, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. He has them all, he shares them. That when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. God allows us to partake in his sufferings. We are not to think it strange, but to count it all joy. James chapter 1, 2 and 4. James chapter 1, 2 and 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I mean, what if somebody said, you want to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? Just pray God, pray to God, pray right now. Lord, make me perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. But you've got to read the first part. You know, so they used to always say, don't pray for patience. Everybody knows that one, right? You look at the fruit, they're all like that. They're all like that. They've got a hook in them. Because basically, it's all inside of you. It's a gift. And he uses this process to get it out and make it real in your life. And you think you've got it. And then he says, no, let's go through that lesson one more time. And he gets in there and starts working it out again. And that's, read the fruit of the Spirit sometime. That's what, he's at, that's what he's up to. But we can rejoice and have joy because we know that God uses suffering for our good and his glory. We can rejoice and have joy. I remember times said it's the love of God that he allows you to suffer. 
we used to always say, I just wish he didn't love me that much. You know? He didn't love me that much. Just a little bit less love there, Lord. The Lord's after something. And you know, it has to do with calling. It has to do with what he's sending you into. It has to do with what you're going to be relating to as to the degree and the kind of suffering you have. You can't even compare your suffering with other people's suffering. Oh, that's too much. No, just enough. He measures it. I remember last time I preached here, I talked about being in the hand of God, that we're in his hand, and nothing can remove us from his hand, and anything that happens to us happens to us in his hand. And it isn't like he's looking the other way, and all of a sudden he glances, oh my gosh, look what happened, he has to fix it. He's actually watching over everything. Here comes something, he said, no, not that one. Okay, that's okay. This one, about half that much, That's what's going on. That's the sovereignty and control of God in your life if you're a Christian. God uses suffering for our good and for his glory. This is good. Isaiah 48, verse 10. Isaiah 48, verse 10 and 11. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? I will not give my glory to another. I've been meditating on this thing about what's pleasing to God is a humble spirit and a contrite heart. God is working that. Fire is used to purify gold. Suffering and affliction is used to purify the believer. God purifies us that we would not defame the name of of Christ. And I can't remember if it was in the meeting here or out here. Someone mentioned that uh, we bear his name. We bear his name. We are called Christians. Christians. We are called Christians. And he purifies us that he might receive the glory and we would not defame his name. We're being conformed into his image. I remember one time I was going through so much and I said, Lord, you're killing me. He said, only the part that's not me. Only the part that's not me. There's gold in there that nothing can harm. Just keeps getting more pure. Someone said one time, it's like the Lord wants to move us into this place through suffering where we're translucent and you can look and see the gold inside. You can look and see the gold. That's what they say. They say the purest gold, and it talks about that in heaven with the gold streak is actually translucent. translucent. It's like glass, but it's gold. Suffering purifies and cleanses us. Number three, the fellowship of his sufferings. You can see this progression going on here. Number four, being conformed to his death. Obedience. Obedience. We're going to get to this verse, but I'll just throw it out now. It says that Jesus was obedient even unto death. His whole life reflected obedience. And so his death even reflected that final act of obedience. In Hebrews chapter 5, 8, and 9, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, listen to this, he became the author of, 
of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Again, we don't want to get into a works thing, but there's a natural thing here about how salvation comes and is worked out through obedience to the Lord. But again, he puts the desire in us and the ability to be obedient. Through suffering, we are not only purified, but we learn obedience. Jesus was obedient even unto death. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This has got some very uh, specific and pertinent words in it. The first one comes out right at the beginning. Let this mind be in you. Now when you read that, you need to take note of what's next because there's an expectation of God as you read this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. His death was the final act of obedience, and the word of God clearly says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. As Jesus, even we, should be willing to be obedient unto death. We can do this because we do not fear death. We should not fear death. As Christians, we have nothing to fear from death. Remember somebody once said, if the worst the devil can do is kill me, the worst. <laughs> Paul said that was the best, actually. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 58, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it goes on and says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, be immovable. Fear nothing. Fear nothing. Fear, I remember saying, fear is a lying spirit. You know, when fear comes upon you, you can feel it. It's almost like a dark presence. It's a lying spirit because we have nothing to fear. In Revelations 12, 11, uh, it talks about how the dragon fell to the earth all these different things are going on in the heavenlies. Woe unto you, O earth, for he has fallen down to you. He's angry, and he knows his time is short. And then it says, but they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. The three things that give us victory over the devil, and I've taught on this before, the blood of the Lamb, that's the work on the cross, accepting that, embracing that, the blood of Jesus. Number two, the word of our testimony. Jesus is Lord. They said basically, except by the Spirit of God, you cannot say Jesus is Lord. How can you know Jesus is Lord? You weren't there. You didn't see it. You didn't see him raised from the dead. You didn't see him ascend into heaven. But the witness is with inside you. The Holy Spirit saw all of that. And he's inside of you. And if you let him, 
He will say, Jesus is Lord. You can feel it. I get in, a, get in an empty room sometime, just say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Whew, the anointing of God. Demons hate it. Says they tremble. Angels love it. Whew, do you hear that? Angels love it. It says in one verse in Revelations, the confession of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you want to prophesy, just say, Jesus is Lord. Because you can't say it. The Holy Spirit. There's power. Number three. This is one we don't hear about. Loving not your life to the death. Nothing can stop someone who doesn't fear death. Dangerous person. Very dangerous. That's why terrorists and so on, they're deceived. They're going to get all these rewards. They don't fear death. They embrace it. But we as Christians are the only ones who should not fear death. I guess another reason you shouldn't fear death is because in Psalm 139, it says all your days were written in a book when as yet there were none of them. So it's already settled. So nothing can harm you or take you until that last line in the book, and only he knows it. So you can just go about yourself just being, you know, recklessly obedient. <laughs> recklessly obedient. I like that. Recklessly obedient. I'm, I'm going to remember that. To overcome the devil, we need to be willing to be obedient unto death. Number four, being conformed to his death, obedience. The last one, five, to attain the resurrection from the dead. How do we attain the resurrection from the dead? We do this by accomplishing the four things that I just gave you. It's part of the progression. To know him, salvation, to receive salvation and believing in Jesus Christ, to work out our salvation and obedience with a living relationship with Jesus Number two, the power of his resurrection, the infilling of the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit, to have our own personal Pentecost, then to continually be being refilled. Number three, the fellowship of suffering, sanctification. Suffering purifies and cleanses us. As we endure it, God does a work in us, and through it he is glorified. Number four, being conformed to his death, obedience. We learn obedience through what we suffer, his death was the final act of obedience. We need to be willing to be obedient unto death, to love not our life, even unto death. Thus finishing our course, we attain the resurrection from the dead. And through that process, we're ready. And probably at some point there, we just kind of want to go. <laughs> After you go through so many physical things, it's like, you know, you just want that new body. To know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, attaining the resurrection from the dead. In closing, let me read this from Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 14. This is where we're at. You can look at that process. You can see where you fit. You can kind of look at what's next or where you are the progression. This was Paul's heart. 
Not that I've already attained or that I'm already perfected, but set yourself with this. I press on. I press on. Don't let anything stop you. I press on. I was communicating with somebody on Facebook, and I told them something that I don't tell many people, but I said, you know, I told the Lord a long time ago that with, other, with, with whatever strength you give me, I will be obedient and fulfill your will. If there's no strength, whatever little bit, uh, through this whole process, I've been praying every morning, Lord, please use me in my weakness as well as my strength, because through all this, I felt very weak. I mean, these kind of things wear on you mentally and emotionally. Jim could tell you that, just about him having to walk with his wife through these things. They, they wear on you. You know, they age you. But you have to keep pressing on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me to fulfill the call of God, to fulfill your destiny, to walk through this process, to fulfill your destiny, and to be raised from the dead. That's what the Word of God says. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. And uh, I feel a lot of times when a message like this comes out, if you feel you need to respond, I'm not talking about the microphone. You can pray from where you are, but you need to pray and transact business with God. One of the things I had to constantly repent of was a lack, you know, for unbelief. I struggle. You know, it's like, it's a funny thing about, you know, you trust God, but you don't quite trust him because you're, he does weird things that you don't necessarily like. And I try to be honest with God about that, you know. It's like, I trust you, Lord. But I'm not sure what you're up to sometimes or what you're, what you're doing. <laughs> so let's transact business with God. We just stand before you, Lord. We ask for your forgiveness for not embracing the cross, for not rejoicing in suffering, for unbelief. We struggle. We know you. We trust you. And yet we struggle. And Lord, forgive us. Give us strength. Continue to build up our faith. Continue to bring healing and deliverance. We, we, we so desperately want to see you move by the power of your spirit, touching people and, and, and releasing them into the fullness and capacity you've given them, releasing them, delivering and healing and, 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 and empowering them. God, we, 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 we desire, we reach out. We have expectation. Oh God, in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord.